Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book Lighthouse Faith. Well, I'm here at NRB. It's the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Orlando, Florida. It is the largest gathering of mostly Christian media in the world. The headline during this week, as you probably might know by now, was Governor Rick DeSantis speaking at the opening session. Now, obviously, he wasn't showing up just about, you know, welcoming people to Florida and NRB. I mean, this is a political season we're in, but it was about reaching a core group of Republicans, you know, Christian conservatives. But there were a lot of people or a lot of voices here at the convention that um, I'd like to bring to Lighthouse Faith audiences. You know, some are well-known, but others are not so much. Now, first up for me is Dr. Abraham Hamilton III, and he also spoke on the same stage um, as uh, Governor DeSantis, on the same night, by the way. Uh, Dr. Hamilton is the general counsel uh, and public policy analyst for the American Family Association. He hosts the Hamilton Corner on American Radio. Um, he's a husband, the father of five, and a homeschool dad. Does that mean you actually homeschool your kids, your homeschool dad, or that you just oversee you know, somebody no, else doing it? No, I'm, I'm intimately involved. We actually have six now children. <laughs> yes. But no, I teach uh, rhetoric. I teach science. I teach several different subjects. But no, I'm, I'm actively involved as well. How many, I mean, how old are your kids? My oldest is 12 mm-hmm. and my youngest is 17 months. Wow. Okay. So mm-hmm. the 17 month old is not quite in uh, homeschooling. No, he's yet. not. He's not in the throes of it just yet. But. Now, have you always homeschooled your kids or is this something that's COVID related? No, actually, we, we've always homeschooled our children. None of our children have ever been enrolled in school from the very beginning. Uh, starting with my oldest, who's now 12, uh, we've started homeschooling him first and then all the rest of them thereafter. So we're maybe seven or eight years you've been really homeschooling. Yeah, we've been since 2012. We've mm-hmm. been homeschooling since 2012. And why did you start? Wow, that's a very good question. The thing that led us to, to start homeschooling uh, was first uh, my wife and I delving into a more solidified biblical worldview. And we began to learn a bit about the history of the modern public education system. Really? Yeah. When you think about figures like Horace Mann, John Dewey, <clears throat> excuse me, and others, people say often the public school system is failing. And I would always say, well, in order for you to make that assessment, you have to know what the intentions were from the, from the very beginnings. Um, I'm when, interested in what you have to say about Horace Mann because my elementary school was actually named Horace yeah, Mann. Well, Horace Mann said those who parents who've sent their children to our education system, we see them as having sent captives to our cause. That's what he says. What kind of cause? Exactly. <laughs> Do you think a person who's, who, who views your children and my children as captives, do you think they have our best intentions at heart? Mm. Not so much. People like John J. Dunphy, how you, the list goes on and on. Uh, uh, Howard Pierce. Uh, John J. Dunphy said that the, the modern public education system consists of teachers who are more rabid than the most fundamentalist preachers because we're preaching a gospel of another sort. No matter what the subject is, whether from kindergarten all the way up through high school, uh, senior year education, the subject matter is humanism. And we need to be the most rabid evangelists 
uh, to proclaim that message. So they were basically, not, they were humanists, they were secularists, they were atheists basically. Secular, atheists, humanists who have launched an over centuries long effort to transform the United States of America to a bastion of what they called then humanism. We did not just arrive where we are accidentally. It has been the product of an intentional plan using the school system by and large as a primary mechanism to accomplish it. My mouth is like open right now because I had never really understood the depth of this travesty yeah. in terms of the public school system. Yeah, I said every every school is a school of humanism. The former dean of education at, at Harvard University, uh, uh, Chester Pierce, um, he, he literally said, children, when they come to our schools at four and five years old, they come sick because they have this weird allegiance to a transcendent being known as God, the allegiance to, a, to the notion that America is a separate, independent nation, this allegiance to their parents. And it is our job as educators to make these sick children well. Okay. My thought, get your kids out of public school now. Oh, my goodness. This, what I just shared for you is an overview of comments made from the late 1700s all the way through the 1800s up into the 1900s. How do we not know this? I mean, because when I went to school, when I went to school, okay, um, I'm, I'm a little older than you. Okay, I'm a lot older than you. <laughs> but it, you know, we could call it Christmas vacation. We could mm -hmm. call it Easter vacation. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were allowed to do things like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, but it, I didn't sense any kind of subversiveness about that. Right, and, that, and that's a part of the plan. When, when John Dewey, not to be confused with the, the progenitor of the Dewey Decimal System, but when John Dewey, John Dewey got control of the education system by controlling what teachers were allowed to become teachers and who were removed from the profession, uh, the goal has always been the same, to utilize the education system to, to literally uh, work against parents, work against families, work against the view uh, that children and families make a familiar unit, but to have the child of the state. Um, the goal was always the same, but the, the public discussion of the objectives were on, was only meted out in portions until it became more palatable to discuss publicly. So arriving at the place now where you're having conversations whether or not you can have Christmas vacation and things of that nature, it's the downstream consequence of seed sown years ago. Oh, my goodness. So what, what can a parent do today to change that? I mean, not, not all parents can afford to sure. homeschool their children or send them to a parochial school. Yeah. What can they do? Yeah, there's, there's several different options. One one thing, and I get that, that statement often, I can't afford to do so. And I ask the question, well, how do you know? Have mm. you ever actually sat down to create a budget? You know, some people have, some haven't. Have you sat down to create a budget? Have you identified what things are necessary, what things are not necessary? And, and then also, what could be more important than what we're doing in investing in our children. We, we made the commitment to uh, invest in our children because we view ourselves as discipling our children, not merely educating them, but education is, a, is an intrinsic comport, component of discipleship. Jesus said it himself, we are to love him with all our heart, soul, minds, and strength. Intellectual development is a part of the mm -hmm. discipleship mandate. And so because we recognize that, that education is such a strident part of that, that we are in, endeavoring to disciple our children in a holistic sense and doing so from our home as a basis for, for that endeavor. So what could be more important than that right. when it comes to our children? But what about the idea that we could try to change the public school system? I mean, you have a lot of parents thinking, you know, we should run for the, mm -hmm. you know, the school board and, mm -hmm. you know, get into those schools mm -hmm. and change it from the inside. Isn't that possible? Yeah, I mean, I, I do believe that that's a laudable objective, but when you see that the entire system, we have godly teachers, wonderful teachers, wonderful administrators, wonderful principals, but the system itself has 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 calcified in opposition to God to where you have to try to figure out a way to get God in. Mm -hmm. What the scripture says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Wow. What kind of system of instruction can you have 
calling it education, but intentionally and systematically denies the knowledge of God. At best, it's a system of miseducation in order to do so. And I'll give an example. Many of our, our children are being taught, uh, for example, when you get to the place of learning Isaac, Newton, I, Isaac Newton's laws of motion, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What most children don't realize is that Isaac Newton was a passionate Christian. He could be rightly described as a theologian who dabbled in science. What wow. they're denied the knowledge of is that the reason why Isaac, Isaac Newton experimented was because of what he read in the Bible. He said, because if what this, what God has said has revealed to us in scripture is true, then these other things must be true. The genesis of his experimentation was the revelation of scripture. Isaac Newton wrote exponentially more about theology than he did about science. But imagine a child being taught science and they're denied the worldview implications that led to the scientific discoveries. Galileo, the one who's literally responsible for us learning that we don't have a geocentric universe, we have a heliocentric universe right, right. that literally peered into the heavens. He did so because of scripture. You know, when we talk about math in our home, we don't just talk about the, what's two plus two, the, the hard facts of the mathematical equation. We talk about the worldview implications as well. What is two plus two? It's four. Why is two plus two four? And will two plus two ever be anything but four? These are questions mm-hmm. I need to have answers. Well, no, my children will tell you two plus two is four will always equal four because they reflect its creator. Mathematics is an opportunity to peer into the mind of God. The discipline of mathematics only exists because we have a creator who is immutable. He doesn't change. And he has established a fixed universe that creates an environment for us to be able to have the disciplines of science, the discipline of mathematics. Without our fixed universe, we could not discover or explore or, you know, go to the moon. (laughs) You know, without those worldview considerations undergirding and creating the environment for the hard data of the mathematical facts, we literally aren't getting an entire education. We're being taught to, to repeat. Wow. Wow. You must, your skin must just crawl when you hear the issues of gender ideology in the public school system in that the school system actually will keep a child's sort of gender dysphoria a secret or kept away from the parents. My, my skin does crawl, and, and it seems to a lot of people as if it's a new battle. But I hate to tell you, it's not a new battle. It's the latest iteration of the same battle. Hmm. When you deny the existence, one of the, one, one of the greatest travesties that can occur is that you have a precious child, and you teach them that the substance of life is absent the knowledge of God. We're creating weapons of mass destruction by doing so because we're denying these children the very substance of what they need to be able to make sense of everything around us. And so how we have this era, and I call it, we have lots of professing Christians, but really practical atheism because we're literally taught, modeled, and exemplified practical atheism by the way that we're instructed. Eight hours a day, five days a week, (laughs) kindergarten through 12th grade, we learn to function, exist, operate, thrive with no consideration of God whatsoever. It's not surprising then that that's how most of these people live their lives because we've been discipled into this way of life. I always thought about, because I feel like we're, most people, I'm basically saying what you've just said, which is they're catechized into a secular worldview, and they, without even them knowing it. Yeah, and we all know it. We, all, we, we know anecdotally more is caught than is taught. It's a catechism of function, not yeah. didactic pedagogical instruction. It's a catechism of function, and that's what the American society is. When I'm asked the question, how did we become what we become as, as a nation, my answer is very plain and simple. We've discipled our way into it. Boy, education never really understood the level of what's going on in the public education system. And, you know, I think I could sense it even from when I was a child, mm-hmm. even though back then, I mean, it was still kind of very religious. I mean, you could have religious discussions. That's right. You know, but you can't have that today. You can't. You can't have that today. And it's been foreclosed. 
has been foreclosed. And so if we have, I use the metaphor in this way, we have a system of instruction where a train is heading south. Mm -hmm. You may not want to go south, but the train is heading south. If you get to the top of the train and run as fast as you can north on a southward heading train, which direction do you think you'll arrive at ultimately? <laughs> uh, south. But do you know what? I mean, I think, and I would talk about this, um, Dr. T uh, Timothy Keller, who just passed away, and mm. who um, just was an incredible influence. He talked about, and the, many other theologians talk about this, and particularly, like, um, you know, Pope Benedict XVI talks about this, is sort of the, you know, the scourge of relativism. Mm -hmm. You know, I decide what's right and wrong for myself. And there are a lot of people who will be listening, who might listen to you, talking about this is well, so, you know they're not influencing me I influence myself I, I read the, my own stuff I you know I decide you know for myself you know what's right and what's wrong what's good for me what do you say to people like that yeah I, I, I said if you believe that um, I, I really have great compassion because there's so much that we don't know about what's happening around us and we may assume that but if you've only presented here's a, a great example I'm from the south you know I grew up in New Orleans Louisiana eating gumbo you know if you've never been presented with any, any other dish and all you know is gumbo, how do you know what anything else tastes like? How do you know what anything else may, may exist? And so you might come to that conclusion because, hey, I've been having filet gumbo, I've been having seafood gumbo. But I'm like, there are other things, even other soups. <laughs> but if that's all you've been exposed to, how do you know you're making that decision for yourself? You're actually making the decision for yourself with the limited exposure you have. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's what's happening by and large. Let's talk about the medical field. I feel like you can just talk about anything. And I've just, <laughs> but I mean, what about the medical field? We've got issues where, you know, like last, um, you know, Governor DeSantis talked about the laws that were chased, changed in Florida. Uh, the conscience laws mm -hmm. for the medical profession. Mm -hmm. And that's just Florida. But the fact that they have to do it. It's remarkable. You know. It's remarkable that, that we actually have to enshrine laws to protect people from violating their own consciences when the oath that they take, doctors with the Hippocratic Oath, to first do no harm, and they perceive pr procedures and medical regimen as being harm-inducing, yet they don't have the wherewithal to object to them. It, it, it's a revelation that even the medical profession is being perverted with ideology. ideology. It's not a, a robust and objective pursuit of health mm -hmm. and outcomes, it's actually ideologically laden, and it just shows just how pernicious uh, these ideologies that stem from the same source, an opposition to God as he's revealed himself in scripture, even permeate our medical disciplines. I want to talk about politics too, because I know you're not Catholic, but um, I, I assume you're not Catholic, right? No, I'm okay. not. But President Biden is. Um, is he? Yeah, well, let's talk about that then, because is is he? Well, he says he's Catholic. He he's, he's, Catholic he's, he's, he's 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 a devoted Catholic. When you look at him, and when you hear him say his faith is important to him, mm -hmm. what are your thoughts? Uh, I I immediately think he he is laboring with an internal cognitive dissonance that um, it's startling to consider. Um, because if you truly are devoted, devoted to what? And this effort to divorce your, your, your public engagement from your personal practices is really, it, it's really kind of a personal narcissism because there's no such thing as neutral. Everybody's worldviews are involved in everything that we do, you know? Here we have the opportunity in the United States of America, the body politic, we are the people we govern. We have the society that exists that allows our 
positions and dispositions to be involved in what we do. So to say that his faith is very important to him, yet he implements policies that contravene that faith, it makes me question how important it is to you. Mm-hmm. And then if it's important to you, does, it, does that importance have any bearing whatsoever on policy implementation? It just makes me wonder uh, how does he bifurcate a personal importance than bifurcate personal importance from policy importance. But that brings up a lot of politicians because mm-hmm. a lot of them, and I think that um, uh, Mario Cuomo probably was the first one, not the first one, but one of the people who he articulated this is that these are my personal views, mm-hmm. but I won't impose my personal mm-hmm. views on the general public mm-hmm. as policy. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think you, it's it's honestly, in some ways, a bit of cowardice because you're imposing someone's personal views. <laughs> so what if you have a person next to you who their personal views happen to reflect your policy? Mm-hmm. You know, what we should endeavor is what is wise, what is right, what is just, and what is true. That should be what governs policy. It shouldn't be a, machina- a machination to say, well, these are merely my personal views. Well, are they right? Mm-hmm. Are they just? Are they true? And if those are the virtues that undergird your personal views, then we all should be able to celebrate. Like, for example, I have personal views in religious faith, but my faith isn't the only reason why I can rightly conclude that we probably shouldn't let four-year-olds and five-year-olds tell us, you know what, I'm born in the wrong body. This, these are the types of things we used to know, but with the scourge of relativism yeah. and the other things that you highlighted earlier, that we now are having these conversations in public. We won't even let certain people rent cars until they're 21. Yet you can take ingest pills that can irreversibly change the course of your body's development. It, it, it's insane. It's insane and it's child abuse. But because, and I know people call it leftism and rightism, I really call it regressivism. Yeah, yeah. It's regressivism because of regressive ideologies because it's not advancing mankind or humanity. It's actually causing us to go backwards. We used to recognize that as adults we have a responsibility to help children who do not have fully formed and functional brains at, the, at their youth. I, my, 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 my second to youngest son, uh, he's now five years old. There was a time in his life where he was fully persuaded that he was Spider-Man. This is a fact. <laughs> I would come home from work and say, hey, daddy, webbed you. Dead serious. Now, what kind of father would I be if my son, who is calling himself Spider-Man, said, you know what, daddy, I have an idea. I want to swing from upstairs. What kind of father would I be? Well, son, you know... Um, I don't want to impose my personal views <laughs> upon you. I said, well, you crazy. Get down from there. You know what I'm saying? These, these are the things we used to know. But regressivism is so insidious, it rots our minds to where we're literally having a place where we say, you know what? Yeah, maybe my adolescent child who hasn't gone through puberty has no concept of what's before him physically, let alone emotionally and spiritually. Yet we're going to allow them to pursue that, that's child abuse. Yeah, that's child abuse, and for society to get to this place, it's like we've become the community where the emperor's wearing no clothes, but we're all up there saying, "Woo, that emperor sure is sharp." <laughs> it's insanity. Um, let's take a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll be right back with Dr. Abraham Hamilton the Third. We'll be right back. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And we are back with Dr. Hamilton um, the Third, Dr. Abraham Hamilton the Third, having a wonderful conversation about everything. Um, I want to I want to get into um, 
we were at NRB. I know that people can probably hear some voices around here, and it's very, you know, there's very cavernous around here, so you're hearing a lot more people than we would normally do in the studio. But why are you here at, at NRB? Why is it important for you to be here? I really think it's important uh, for several reasons, and I talked about this last night as we talked. The scripture teaches uh, that we are born for this moment. And what I mean by that, the scripture, Acts chapter 17, verses 26 to 28, it tells us that God has determined before time the boundaries of our habitation and the times in which we would live. And then it concludes by saying, so that men should seek God. So from that, there are several considerations. One, the fact that, that, that you and I, that we are American citizens, uh, born in this country, living in this country, it's not a product of merely biological happenstance. It's actually evidence of God's divine ordinance for us. Secondarily, the time that we're in, the context that we're in, when we're having these conversations where people are, are considering you know, gender insanity in different ways, and, and that's not to demean or minimize people who struggle in different ways, but we should not transform struggle into being a normalized celebration yeah. uh, that causes us to make unsound choices society in, in, in the wider society. Um, but this particular time, we've been ordained for this time, according to what the scripture says. And the scripture then goes on to say, so that men should seek God. God is not surprised that we happen to live in a nation where we have untold freedoms in terms of uh, its comparison throughout human history. Yeah. And we've been planted just for this moment. And with God giving us the platforms that we all enjoy, it's incumbent upon us to utilize those platforms as best as possible to exalt the light of the world. I say all the time in my program, darkness is not an affirmative force. It merely reoccupies the space that is vacated by the light. That is what darkness does. When the light is vacated, darkness fills the void. Hmm. It's not a substantive or an affirmative force, but it is. it appears to be ubiquitous. It has a good marketing department to make it <laughs> seem like it's all-encompassing. But we intuitively know that all that's necessary is for the light to be turned on. None of us go home at the end of the, end of the day and say, hey, honey, would you turn the darkness off? <laughs> We don't do that because we intuitively know that all that's necessary to address the darkness is to turn the light on. And so I think it's important to be here for conventions like this so that we can be recalibrated, refocused on the primary purpose of utilizing these platforms that God has afforded us by his grace to turn the light on, to exalt the truth of Christ. Because bad ideas have consequences. I mean, ideas have consequences and bad ideas create casualties. Yeah. In our day and age, there are lots of people who have bought the lies of progressivism and now they're beginning to regret it. So what do these people do? Well, we need to be among those understanding and say, you know what? Even though you bought that lie previously, there's a better way forward. And this is the way for us to go forward. I want to bring up something that happened last week with the NAACP. And I know that... Do you really? Yeah, we... Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah, we um, uh, and I'm trying to bring it up here because um, the... The NAACP, and people can't see you right now, but they, you are African-American, so I'm just going to put that yeah, out been, there right I've now. I've been blessed by the Lord with yeah. melanin. <laughs> <laughs> but the NAACP, which is, uh, I think it's National Association, National something, something Association. The National Association for the Advancement of... Advancement of Colored People, which mm -hmm. was made in the 19-whatever, 50s mm -hmm. or 60s, when they actually called black people colored people. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's expanded to mean all people of color of some sort. And But they basically said that they issued a travel warning <laughs> to black people to stay out of Florida because the policies in Florida by Governor Ron DeSantis mm -hmm. were um, hateful or whatever against African Americans. Mm -hmm. Just your reaction to, to issuing some kind of travel advisory that way, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. The first thing I, that, that, I, that I was struck by when I read that is just the... The unfortunate reality of just how irrelevant the NAACP has become in people's lives, you know. I really don't think anybody's going to take uh, this travel advisory to heart 
to cause them to not to come and enjoy some sunny beaches, yeah. not to travel to the state of Florida. In addition to that, it made me also think, say, wow. So I guess the NAACP doesn't have any concern for all of the small businesses in Miami, people who actually live there, who depend on tourism and things of that nature. So you're willing to just trash their commerce in order to make a political statement? And, like, Governor DeSantis didn't just show up yesterday, you know. It's like, so you, you're really just trying to, uh, to run cover for political opponents of Governor DeSantis? It, it, it's really, it's really, un, it's really, really unfortunate that, that they're doing that. They're doing that um, yeah. And all in the name of what? So just abandon, like Miami-Dade County, abandon Fort Lauderdale, abandon all of these cities where you have a whole lot of black people who happen to live there. You know, just so you can make a political point, it's 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 counterproductive. It's unfortunate, and even worse, it's anchored by a worldview that is actually hostile to all people, including black people. Wow! You know, it's this it's this Marxist foundation that leads to this whole DEI phenomenon, to where which is remarkable to me. People forget that critical race theory is a subset of critical theory. Yeah. When critical theory was fomented, you know. Uh, there really wasn't a whole lot of black people around. The goal was to utilize a a, a theory having uh, the uprising of the proletariat frustrated by the fallout from World War One, mm-hmm. and people in Europe who were impoverished realized, oh, I could actually change my family's destinies in one generation if I could just get to a place of freedom. So World War One caused there to be a, a wet blanket, so to speak, poured on the fervor of the proletariat uprising because people realize, well, even if I'm poor, I'm not irrepressibly, unchangeably poor. I don't have to have this revolutionary uprising. All I need to do is get to a place where I have the freedom to allow my, my natural talents flourish. So then you had those who adopted what ultimately became like a Gramscian view of, of Marxism because Marx is not the father of socialism, but he is the introducer of violence utilized as a mechanism to accomplish socialistic objectives. Um, but they started the Gramscian version with a long march through the, the institutions. And so critical theory was born out of that. Critical race theory is merely the application of the th- critical theory overarching umbrella within a unique context of the American process in American system, American history. And what, what is the danger of critical race theory? Well, the danger is very simply, first of all, it has no interest whatsoever in... Uh, aiding people that are in, you know, in race relations. Not at all. The goal is destructive. That's all. Gramsci postulated that in order for there to be Marxist overthrow of any society that is rooted in a Judeo-Christian ethic, it has to be severed at the root. That's it. That was, that's, what it, that's what he postulated. And so critical race theory was developed as a particular American iteration of critical theory to sever the Judeo-Christian root. Which is why you have groups like Black Lives Matter that was a self-avowed, self-avowed Marxist organization using the pain and suffering of more melanated people, but not really that much. Because I never saw anybody from Black Lives Matter show up in my neighborhood in New Orleans <laughs> when people were slain in the streets. Right. Right. Nobody ever showed up in Chicago for that. They only showed up in one particular context. When? When a less melanated person was involved because their objective wasn't to help anyone. It was to continue this tension between society based on external perceived ethnicity so that the Marxist objectives could be advanced. Like, like, you know me, I'm from the hood. Nobody in the hood is talking about we need to show up to to disrupt the heteronormative Western prescription for nuclear family. (laughs) What? (laughs) Nobody in the hood said we need to show up to march so we can loosen the tight grip of heteronormative thinking. No, because they don't care about what's going on in the hood. They want to use the hood to advance Marxism. And the danger there is you have genuine people who sometimes are suffering genuine scenarios that are being used as pawns 
to advance an agenda that is foreign to them and actually will trample them in the process of advancing a Marxist society. So. And you know, you're an African-American conservative. I can, I can I can safely say that you were a conservative African-American. And the, the Democratic Party kind of takes African-Americans for granted. They think they have them all. But I have to imagine that you get a lot of... As, can I say hate speech from other African Americans because you are conservative? Is that right? This is true. It is, it's so funny when people say that to me because I never knew that I was conservative. I remember somebody said to me, "You're conservative," as if it was an insult. But the truth is that I, that the Lord saved me, and so I'm endeavoring to live what I find in Scripture. And what you'll find is that many people who are African American in the country are actually conservative in, in our value systems, what we believe, and the way we pursue. It's just that. Because of political rhetoric and pawns, and I, I would say that the Democrat Party kind of uses black people, or the Republican Party uses Christians in a lot of ways. But that's a whole story, another story for another another, another day. Uh, but but taking that for granted is because of uh, historical iterations and and people oftentimes doing things simply because that is what has been done around them in the past. Yeah. Instead of stopping to think, wait a minute. Now, from my hometown, New Orleans, city of New Orleans, we've never had Republicans on the city council. We've never had a Republican mayor. So when we say these public schools, these city policies that are disastrous for us, when we say things like you can't get an education, this is how it is in New Orleans, you can't get a good education unless you go to a private school. Well, what are we really saying? We're in, it's an indictment on the policies that have been advanced by the Democrat Party that's been in power for over a century in New Orleans. That's my hometown. I know that to be a fact. The same was true in major cities all around the country. So if we stop for a moment and say, wait a minute, why is it that we have all of these concerns and these, these, these complaints about what's happening in our city, but the policy positions come from the same vantage point? I think it's probably time for us to do something different. And I think we're seeing that happen with, with younger generations, with, well, not even just younger generations, additional people I've had conversation with, 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 I call them my seasoned saints, our elders in the community, they realize and they'll say things like, you know, I'm Abe the third. They say, Lil Abe, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. We should think differently about what has been happening and what needs to happen going forward. Well, one last thing, because I, I want to talk about, the, you are a father of six. Mm-hmm. The importance of fathers, not only generally, but for particularly for African-American children, it's incredibly important. It's vitally important. It's instructive for us that when our Lord, as recorded for us in Scripture, unfolded all of civilization, unfolded all of its institutions, before there was ever modern iterations of civil government, before there was ever even a modern iteration of the New Testament church, the first institution that God established was the family. It was the family. With marriage as the foundational rubric of the family, then you fast forward in the New Testament context, like verses like Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, fathers, not mothers, fathers, do not exasperate your children, rather rear them in the nurture and, and admonition of the Lord. That's a command. Ephesians chapter 6 is an epistle, which just means it's a letter, consists of six chapters. The first three are written in the Greek text in the imperative mood. I'm sorry, in the indicative mood, it's indicating who we are. For example, Ephesians chapter 2, but you were dead in trespasses and sins, but you've been quickened alive in Christ Jesus. Well, the second half of the book is written in the imperative mood. These are commands. So when you see Ephesians 6, 4, when it says, fathers, rear your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that's not a suggestion. That is a command. And it's not saying that mothers are incapable of doing it, but the responsibility rests upon us as fathers. Isn't it interesting that in our modern times of uh, psychoanalytics and psychiatry and psychology, whenever there's any mental deficiency, where do they start? What was your relationship like with your father? This is a secular society catching up to reality that's been first announced by God. Fatherhood is not just a good thing. It would be better for you. It's an absolute necessity for all communities, including uh, inner city urban communities of black people. 
Well, Dr. Abraham Hamilton III, I want to thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. And I can imagine that we'll be talking again sometime in the future soon probably but this has been a wonderful wonderful conversation and again where can people hear more about your your um your ministries yes you can you can hear or watch my show every day the hamilton corner it airs on the american family radio network uh you can watch it on youtube live every evening you can watch it on our streaming service streaming.afa.net you can watch it right there you can watch it if you have like facebook twitter whatever uh, you can listen uh, you can go to AFR.net to find our terrestrial radio stations. You can also listen live online right there. And you can also uh, watch the television version of my program on NRB TV on Friday evenings at 9, 9 Eastern, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern time. I have a feeling you're gonna, we're going to learn a whole lot about you <laughs> and from you. Thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's been and a pleasure. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Amazon Prime members can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music app or just hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player. And thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast broadcasting from the NRB. Um, I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.